0: to the Hort Week podcast where we talk to horticulture sector people and discuss horticulture issues. I'm Rachel Forsyth, Senior Reporter at Hort Week and this week I'm joined by Paul Rabbits. We're going to talk about just how much parks have changed since the Victorian era, as well as some of the current issues faced by parks, like the growing number of local authorities who are filing for bankruptcy and the ongoing skill shortage, and how despite all of this, he loves his job and is on a mission to make parks sexy again.
1: Welcome, Paul. How are you? Yeah, I'm good today. Thank you. It's a a lovely sunny day looking out the window in Leighton Buzzard, and uh, it's cold, but it's gorgeous. Beautiful,
0: yeah. That's kind of the best weather, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it's fabulous. Yeah, time to take a walk in the park maybe later on. Oh, good,
0: good. Yeah, we're already promoting those parks. Uh, well, I've got a local park
1: just around the corner, which which I've I've got a very old West Highland Terrier who sat just down by my feet, so I can't take him too far these days. But my my local park is literally five minutes away, and it's a Green Flag award-winning park as well. Oh, yes, beautiful. And it's a it's a beautiful uh, little park, gorgeous Lime Avenue. Uh, uh, and a rather nice old Victorian drinking fountain that sits in the middle of it as well. So I, I, I kind of keep a close look on it, look after it, and uh, but I enjoy walking it on a on a regular basis. But then I'm a parky
0: yeah that leads us quite nicely into my first topic or question you have published a book and it's titled People's Parks the Design and Development of Victorian Parks in Britain so tell me a little bit about this book what were you hoping to achieve through publishing the book
1: yeah it, it's um this this one's been a real labor of love uh, to be honest because I've like I said, I've written I've written a number of books on Parks, bandstands, royal parks, etc. Um, but th- this was one I always wanted. Um, I wanted to do, uh, and the reason being is back in I think it was 1991. Uh, the late Hazel Conway uh, and many readers of Horticulture you could probably remember Hazel Conway being a a very well known, very well respected parks historian who campaigned uh, for parks for many many years and she uh, sadly she passed away a few years ago but in 91 she published a, a really good book called people's parks surprise prize. um and it took us up to the victorian era uh, or the end of the victorian era uh, and didn't really go any further but it was the book of the time as far as telling the history and the story of um the parks that we love and use today uh, and i always wanted to i always wanted to update it uh, I remember writing to Hazel at the time, and 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 sadly, uh, my letter crossed with the the time that she passed on, so it was uh, wasn't good timing. But her daughter got back in touch with me, Zara, and said that um, that, that Hazel had seen my letter just just before sadly she passed on. Uh, And that I wanted to update the book and bring it right up to date to the 21st century, uh, covering all the aspects of parks beyond the Victorian era, right through the Garden Cities movement, right up through uh, austerity, COVID, uh, through the the kind of resurgence we had with the Lottery Fund to to where we are today. Um, But I also wanted to kind of revisit some of the work that she had done. Uh, because there's been so much research and, and work that has been done uh, since Hazel did it, that I, I just felt it was timely to do. Uh, the the other thing was her book was such a an iconic book that it was it's really hard to get hold of uh, and copies are so rare. And when you do get a copy of it, you'll pay two three hundred pounds for one. Oh, um, wow! So there was lot there was lots of reasons. But I just felt it was timely to to bring bring what she'd done up to date but also kind of um reinvigorate uh restart interest uh in the kind of history and heritage of parks and why we have them why we enjoy them and why they're so why they're so important so that that was kind of what I want to achieve by it
0: and like you said very timely um for sure you've obviously done uh, a lot of research to bring this book together yeah what is one of the most interesting things you've kind of found along the way
1: oh it, it was uh I mean, you find you find out so many different things when you do you digging into research, and and you'll find that uh, like friends, friends groups, lots of friends groups we have up and down the country have done uh, lots of research on their local park, and you find little nuggets of information that are are, are quite interesting. But I think the one thing that I found uh, most interesting this time was, was well, well, two two three things actually was when you look back at how parks were maintained and the number of staff that they had mm. uh, was phenomenal uh, and I, I found some research um, from some some old publications that the London County Council had done uh, or had uh, and it named something like 500 qualified gardeners that they had uh, something like wow. 300 and some plus park keepers uh, with a staff of over a thousand people uh, managing London County Council now London County Council at the time was uh, was a big authority but nothing like we have today but you know Mm -hmm. the number of staff that they had qualified staff uh was was incredible Uh, and the other thing that i that really kind of um piqued my interest was was around children's play uh when you look into the history of parks in general we talk about all the kind of architecture of parks or parkitecture as I call it from lodges and fountains and the gates and all all the kind of bandstands uh, and all these different wonderful things that you have but uh, in the very early parks you didn't really get much in the way of children's play Uh, you had kind of like gymnasiums as they were called children's gymnasiums Uh, uh, and children's play came around kind of quite quite later really kind of like early early 20th century uh so that was that was quite interesting finding out that you know the kind of equipment that was appearing in parks and also if you look at if you look at um i think it's like a Wicksteed, one of the earliest providers of children's play equipment and look at some of the equipment that they provided then compared to what would be acceptable now <laughs> uh, was, was quite fascinating you know I, i'm not going to go up that slide it's like 20 foot high it's not bigger <laughs> uh with no rubber, nothing underneath it. I'm not going to bounce if I fall off that thing. <laughs> uh, so those kind of things were, were, were quite fascinating, to be honest.
0: That's so interesting. Yeah, I'm going. I want to go back uh, to your first point where you mentioned they had lots more staff. Where when did this change, and um, and why? Um,
1: yeah, I mean it's it a gradual change. Mm. Uh, and, w- and when you look at when you look at the staff that they had, um, you know, I mean, you had full time gardeners, you had full time park keepers, park staff. Uh, and, uh, and this uh, this also when you look at the structure of how parks were managed, you know, um, there was a lot of people who there were, you know, iconic park managers. And, you know, I found like John James Sexby, who was at the London County Council Pettigrew, William Wallace Pettigrew, who was at Cardiff and Manchester. Um, I work in Norwich now. Uh, and the impact that Captain Sandys Winch, who was the Borough Park superintendent uh, to uh, McCarty up in Edinburgh to, you know, I go back to when I worked in Carlisle, um, the borough engineer surveyor was a chap called Percy Dalton so local government had these kind of like significant people in charge of of parks departments and borough engineers departments doing great fabulous things but they all gradually disappeared Um, local government is very very good at restructuring changing Uh, we found that uh, over time uh, we had um, uh, cutbacks. We had compulsory competitive tendering, which is detailed in the book. In the nineteen seventies, um, we had. I mean, I think the I think the most significant change, when I really reflect on it, it is probably end of the Second World War uh, and when park railings were taken out of of, of parks uh, and parks became open to all. Okay. Uh, so there was no kind of like opening and closing. Uh, you know, uh, you know, in the morning or on an evening like that, there, were, there was no kind of restrictions around access, which kind of you know closed it off in the night time. So you didn't get the antisocial behaviour because you had the park keeper there closing it off. I think when those railings came down, that was a significant change. So Second World War onwards, uh, and then right through to the nineteen seventies, compulsory competitive tendering, when it was all about cost mm. uh, rather than quality, that was a significant change. Uh, and then taking us through you know the 70s and uh, uh, the depression and as far as austerity uh, is concerned it's been that gradual decline and eroding of of, of what we do in parks mm-hmm. uh, so no specific date but it's it's over a period of time and that's that's the sad thing that we've had to cope with really
0: yeah would it work to bring those railings back into play or do you feel like people would feel like some access to those green spaces kind of being taken away from them now?
1: Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's a good question, actually. Um, I, I think it depends on the locality. I mean, the, the kind of, I mean, society has changed uh, mm. in in general now. Um, you know, we have, we lost the park keeper. I mean, even, even where, in places where we have park ones, park patrols in parks, in many cases, they don't have any specific powers where they can find people or, or you know, t- get off the grass or pick litter and stuff like that. They, these days, they tend to get just either get ignored or get told to shut up or whatever, yeah. or, or words far, far worse. However, uh, having staff in parks uh, and being seen and being visible is is incredibly important. You know, we see that today. You know, if there's a gardener in the park or a volunteer in the park with a high vis on, you feel safer. Um, so, you know, do we need to bring back railings? I, I think y- yes, you could in some places, but in, in retrospect, it's not going to happen. Uh, sadly, there's there's far greater priorities now in parks. Whether we start putting the railings back up in in parks, I, I think I'd rather see more staff in parks uh, today rather than closing them off to to the, to the great and the good.
0: We've seen councils like Birmingham and Woking uh, declaring bankruptcy last year. Do you believe we'll see more local authorities declaring bankruptcy in in the coming months or this
1: year? Yes, yes, without doubt. Uh, 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 and we're in a sad state of affairs. We we, we really are. Um, uh, and you know, again, talking to colleagues in in, in the sector uh, who are struggling now uh, and uh, on the verge of issuing. Uh, Section 114 and four notices um, declaring bankruptcy. Some councils who I know already who are having conversations prior to issuing a notice, uh, having conversations with central government, saying that they cannot, that they cannot balance the books. Um, uh, so yeah, we're 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 in a we're in a difficult time um, globally, nationally, and 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 locally, uh, uh, and something has got to give. I I, I don't know what the answer is. Um, you know, when you see the, the growing challenges that we have with, you know, adult and children's social care, the housing crisis that we've got. Um, I, I also think that when you think back to, you know, we went through two years of COVID uh, uh, and the austerity that we had before that and post-COVID and, and and what we had to do, what local government and central government had to do to kind of basically keep us going and the cost of that, um we're now seeing the impact of that, uh, and it surprises me that we often say what's well, the cost of this? It's the cost of that. But actually, COVID must have had an impact—a significant financial impact—and uh, I think we're seeing we're seeing that now. You know, we're seeing that now. So yes, there will there will be more to go, uh, and that will impact on the services that we de- that we deliver in local government, whether it's libraries, leisure centres, parks swimming pools you name it it's going to impact on all services it's it's going to be a challenge mm,
0: because as much as um it, it's a really interesting point as much as covid kind of brought to light how valuable these spaces are yeah and how we we all know as an industry how many benefits they can deliver i mean we could talk about it for weeks um it, it, unfortunately it does come down to those um statutory services doesn't it the ones that have to be provided
1: yeah it does and i i, I think what 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 will happen is that you know People like myself and working in working in parks, etc., are, are going to have to find. We're, we're going to have to face this head on. We can't ignore it, um, and you know we can't suddenly stop doing what we're doing. So we're going to have to find different ways of, of, of dealing with this. Uh, and I I think that there there will be a great emphasis on volunteers, without doubt. I emphasised this at my conference in in Norwich that you know we can't do everything on our own. Now we need volunteers. We need the third sector to to step up and do more, uh, and you know we can, they can't sit there and point at us and say oh council should be doing this. council should be doing that, um, you know there there is going to be a greater emphasis on on the third sector and, and on on volunteers. I also think that there will without doubt be greater emphasis on commercialisation. You know, we've seen the issues in, in Finsbury Park in London uh, as far as these huge big festivals are held and, and what the Royal Parks are having to deal with. Um, Crystal Palace Park. Crystal Palace Park is now managed by a trust, uh, uh, and they're, you know they're holding significant music festivals in there. They are great, great earners, uh, but this is money that you know, is going back into the park. Uh, so there's an impact, uh, and some people do not like to see. They don't like to see it, but this, we're in a different world now, completely different world. So you know, we're, things will change without doubt. Um, like I say, we're moving into a different different world now.
0: Yeah, that definitely opens me up to my next sort of topic. Which I mean, it's safe to say parks are going through an incredibly challenging time at the moment. Yeah. From your own experience, how much are parks struggling? What are the key areas they're struggling in?
1: Um, well, str- struggling with f- I'm, I'm always going to go back to funding. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we, we've seen so much research over uh, over the last two, three decades uh, from organisations like APSE uh, uh, and Green Space at the time, um, what was the Urban Parks Forum, Lottery, uh, have done lo- fields and trust and loads of research. Uh, and we know that has been an absolute, um, you know, a loss of significant amounts of funding. We're talking millions mm. uh, of, of money that's gone out of parks. Uh, and that's because, again, local government changing priorities, uh, austerity, uh, plus issues around adult and social care. So funding, funding is a real, real issue. I think the other thing, why we're struggling as well is is staffing and skills uh, and attracting people into the sector. We, you know, I've worked in parks thirty five years and I haven't got many years left in me. Um, uh, and it's seeing who, who's going to follow who you know what is it why is it how is it you will attract somebody to work in parks these days um there's no pathway like there used to be there's no career pathway at all you know I fell into parks as a qualified landscape architect I wasn't a very good landscape architect and (laughs) and I think I was a bit better at managing parks um but I, I fell into it and you know I see an aging workforce I I see we struggle to, to get staff now, you know, where we do advertise for parks, managers, park staff, park rangers, etc. um, We're not getting the applications and, and where we are getting them. The quality is not very good. Um, so who are the park managers of the future? Mm. Uh, how are we going to attract people back into the sector? How are we going to upskill people who are p- perhaps in other parts of the sector uh, to say, actually, managing parks is a really, really good career, and that that's a real concern, uh, and that's something that we're trying to address through whether it's through the Parks Management Association or whether it's through APSI or, or, or whether it's through other organisations. Is you know how do we make how do we make parks sexy again uh, <laughs> and, and bring people back into it? Yeah, best career, honestly. I've I've done it for thirty five years, uh, and I could not have chosen a better career path i absolutely love it um and i just think there are so many opportunities for people coming into the sector whether they're studying environmental science or studies ecology landscape architecture you know a lot of landscape architects if you're not very good at it like i wasn't (laughs) move into parks management great career but i would say that
0: And everybody does, don't they? I think once you're in, people see how amazing of a career it is and how many different paths there are that you can take and how many different things you can try out. But it's it kind of getting them in there in the first place.
1: It, it, it is. I mean, we're, we're a great community, to be honest. I mean, I, I remember the days of uh, going to ILAM conferences, you know, the old Institute of Leisure and Amenity Management. And followed by green space and, and, and the, these wonderful kind of get togethers that we used to have as far as conferences and workshops uh, uh, and, you know, learning and learning from um, great speakers, but also meeting people in the sector, uh, you know, so I, you know, I, toddle off from when i was working in carlisle head down to near reading to islam house uh, and you'd meet people there from all over the country uh, And you'd all have a bit of a moan say oh well things are yeah it's terrible and what about this and what about that <laughs> but you you kind of share things uh, and you come away thinking well actually yeah we're all bemoaning moaning the fact we've got no money and, and the times are hard but actually we love what we do we go back up to our our parks department to our parks and crack on Uh, You know, wanting to make the best of what we've got, you know, managing some fabulous uh, landscapes uh, and some incredible open spaces that have been here for hundreds of years. It's great.
0: Yeah. Well, I think uh, we've had it here first. Paul will be launching his Make Park Sexy Again campaign this (laughs) year. (laughs) Um, But it's true. It can feel quite demoralizing when we talk about these challenges. They can feel so enormous. But yeah. Are there? Do you have any examples of some kind of great work out there that local authorities or park groups or whoever it might be are doing some kind of real success stories?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, this is this is the thing we, we, we like to have a bit of a mould saying so think our oh, times are hard, but actually there's, there's some, <laughs> some really good stuff going on out there i mean i mean the number of the, the number of friends groups that we've got across the country are just incredible Volun- volunteers voluntary groups uh, uh, and the work that dave morris does um, uh, you know is the national federation of parks and green spaces is superb uh, supporting uh, the the well not hundreds but thousands of friends groups that we 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 have out there um i'll give you an example it is yesterday i i um had a a conference i organized in norwich uh uh, we're developing our new parks and green spaces we're calling a regeneration strategy because we're looking at how we can improve our open spaces over in, in in norwich uh and I thought, well, I'm going to invite as many people as I possibly can who are involved in in voluntary groups, residence associations, nature conservation, et cetera, et cetera. uh, And we had a a session down at Norwich City Football uh, Ground at Carroll Road, uh, and I had 120 delegates turned up representing 60 organisations. And I'm stood up on this podium in front of all these people thinking, hell's bells, what have I done? Um <laughs> uh, you know, but it shows the, the interest and the passion that there is in, in our parks and green spaces. Now, that's just in Norwich. And I, I know that's reciprocated ac- across the country. Uh, if you look at what Green Flag do, you know, I'm a Green Flag judge. Uh, I've been for oh, God knows how many years now. Uh, and, it, you know, you look at the number of Green Flag parks that are increasing. Uh, we see the challenges that there are, but we go and judge Parks across the country, and we see some great great examples um uh, and we also see some really weird stuff as well uh i did i think it was last year I went to the wirral uh, uh and uh, was uh, judging i think it was an old pleasure gardens Earlham oils Earl, uh, east Eastham eastham i mean it was called just on the Wirral, uh, and the guy who was t- take uh, who we uh, who met us. It uh, kept going on about these old pleasure gardens. I think, right? Okay, I'm looking forward to wandering around these gardens. It was chucking it down with rain, absolutely horizontal, and I'm thinking, <laughs> oh god, it's really depressing. Um, but he was saying, no, no, we're we're going to enjoy this, uh, and I'm going to show you the old uh the old pleasure gardens. And he started talking about this this bear pit, and I, I said, you've got to what? We've got a bear pit. <laughs> Like a bear pit. So I'm thinking, what the hell's he on about? So anyway, we walked into this this open space. And it's an old, overgrown uh, pleasure garden. So the great and the good from Liverpool used to come across to the Wirral to these great pleasure gardens, where there was a cafe and watering points and refreshments, uh, fountains, a little mini zoo, and this bear pit. And sure enough, is this old uh, kind of uh, late Victorian bear pit just sat there. Uh, covered in moss, uh, and I'm looking down at this, thinking, hell spells, I mean, you wouldn't have this now, or well, clearly. But it, I'm thinking, "This is fabulous! This is this is heritage! This is history! That you wouldn't expect to find this." Uh, and it was almost like they accepted where well, we got a bear pit, uh, and <laughs> a little bit in the shadow of of the Great Birkenhead Park up up the road. And I says, "Well, why are you why are you celebrating this?" Well, you know, it's 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 a bear pit, and you know, it's <laughs> and I. Think, this is amazing, um, in, the, in the middle of in the middle of the Wirral. So that really excited me. Um, so it's those kind of things, and you know, people doing doing things that um, that are really making a difference. Lancaster City Council is one that I always cite. Um, you know, we've got a climate crisis, uh, and, and Lancaster have come up with this amazing grassland management strategy, which I encourage anybody to go onto their website. Uh, uh, And just typing um, grassland management strategy. Mm. Uh, Brilliant, brilliant piece of work uh, uh, of how they're looking to change um, maintenance and management regimes across their green estates, but doing it in a logical, considered, ordered way. Uh, Great, great piece of work. Uh, uh, And I'll give you one other example. I could go on, uh, but this is, one <laughs> I, this is one I really, I do. I'm I'm really proud of. It's one that I I delivered when I worked in in Watford uh, a few years ago, uh, and we delivered what we call Oxy Activity Park. Again, you know, Google it. It's it's got a, its own microsite, amazing site uh, where we had a just a little piece of open space. That well, oh, what do we do with this? There was a demand for BMX in the town. And thought, well, actually, we could do a little bit more with this uh, and developed with four and a half billion pounds of capital money. Well done, Watford Council, uh, and developed uh, probably one of the best, I'm going to say the best skate parks uh, in the country, uh, along with BMX, along with mountain bike riding, along with a cafe, all designed into a natural landscape. Uh, And it's incredible. It's it's absolutely incredible. Again, it's got green flag. Uh, it it's won various awards, etc. But it's an incre- incredible design, uh, and testament to to the council for wanting to invest and try something different. So there's some good stuff going on out there. Um, despite the the kind of misery and gloom that we read in the papers etc on a daily basis but there is some good stuff going on
0: yeah we're such a passionate industry aren't we so it kind of is what sees us through what a lovely note to leave this podcast on Mm. My very last question for you is one we always ask our guest, and that is, what plant would you take to a desert island? Now, as always, it doesn't have to survive on the desert island, but if you would like to give yourself the extra <laughs> challenge, then please do.
1: I think this is a great question. Um, <laughs> it, it is. I, I often, when I'm interviewing people um, uh, uh, for a parks role or I whatever, I always say to them, what's your favourite park? And you know what? It stumps it a lot of people yeah um, oh I haven't a clue what's my favourite park uh, it's a good question uh, what's my favourite plant that's an easy one for me actually it's the tulip tree uh, oh, yeah. I absolutely love the tulip tree uh, and um, why the tulip tree oh I think when I, when I one of my first jobs was in Jersey on, on the Channel Islands as a as a, a, a not a very good landscape architect uh, <laughs> and I remember going into I think it's Samurai Manor uh, and seeing this most amazing tree it was huge uh and thought, what the hell is this the leaf the leaf shape it had flowers these rather nice flowers on it tulip tree tulipifera. Uh, and i look, i loved it so everywhere i have lived uh whatever house i've moved to and, and lived in i've always planted a tulip tree uh and my house which i i, I rent out back up in the northeast in darlington has a has a tulip tree growing in the garden uh, and when i bought it uh, I thought it's just a, norm, a normal tulip tree, but it wasn't. It was the golden variegated one, which was even more exciting. Whoa. So it's a Lyriodendron <laughs> tulipifera ureomarginata, I think is the Latin name. Uh, so, yeah, the tulip tree is, is what I would take. Whether it would survive on a desert island, I'd, I suspect not, but that's my favourite.
0: What a musical Latin name as well. It's great, isn't it? Yeah, fantastic. I've got to know as well, why weren't you a very good landscape architect?
1: Oh God! Um, well, I did. I did my. I did my my uh, bachelor degree in Sheffield or uh, Sheffield City Polytechnic. It's a geography degree, and I got to the end of my geography degree, and I thought, ooh, what do I do with geography?" Uh, and I remember my tutor giving me this leaflet saying, uh, he, "You know, here were opportunities for geographers," and on it was landscape architecture, and I thought, "Oh, that sounds interesting. I'll apply." Uh, And somehow ended up getting a place at Edinburgh University doing a a master's degree in landscape architecture. Uh, And two years, my first year, I was awful. I I was (laughs) really bad. My tutor knew I was bad and virtually ignored me for the whole of the first year. (laughs) So I almost dropped out until my second year tutor realised that actually I was I was really bad. But actually there was there was something there, Uh, uh, and I kind of blossomed in year two. Uh, but then, when when I went into into the private sector, uh, I was okay. I, I was okay. I liked kind of like the private garden stuff and the heritage and the history and, mm. and that kind of stuff. But when it when all of a sudden I suddenly found myself that uh, everything was going down the route of being computer-aided design and CAD, that sent a cold shiver down my back, <laughs> and I thought, I don't want to do this. Uh, so I thought there was better people at it than me, which is one of the reasons why I moved into into managing parks. Thank God.
0: <laughs> you found your calling in the end.
1: <laughs> I found it, yes. Yeah.
0: Thank you so much for chatting to us, Paul. It has been so interesting to hear about the book and uh, some really amazing examples there of great work being done. And uh, we look forward to seeing what you get up to as the year goes on.
1: Yeah, thank you. and Thank you for asking me. It's, it's uh, much appreciated.
0: It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm Rachel Forsyth, and this has been the Hort Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe or follow Hort Week podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. If you are interested in producing a podcast with Hort Week, email us at Hortweek at Haymarket.com. Huge thank you again to Paul, and goodbye for now.